Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you today, and we really do appreciate all of you who are visiting. Thank you for choosing to be here and assemble with us in the worship of God and the sharing of our faith with one another as we build each other up in that faith in God and Christ. We'll open your Bibles and your Testaments to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in a moment. It'll be referring to a text there. So if you will, open your New Testaments to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The natural power of wind is an amazing part of God's creation. Whether you're talking about harnessing that energy source or you're simply looking at or considering the effects of destructive straight winds or circular winds, whatever you're talking about, wind is an amazing part of creation. And it is something that we should not carelessly just dismiss. But the winds in life, the winds of our times, are also not trivial things either. The winds of change can be very devastating, devastating to our faith and devastating to our fellowship in Christ with God our Father. Unpreparedness leaves us vulnerable, doesn't it not? Whether you're talking about being unprepared because of a physical storm, but even more so if you're unprepared for the spiritual storms that do come, it will leave you extremely vulnerable to what can happen to you. There are winds of doctrines which can toss you and me violently about. There are winds of men's teaching that can carry us away from Christ and away from truth and away from grace. And so the Holy Spirit sent by our Savior Jesus Christ to the prophets and the apostles of the New Testament guided these men in regard to Faith in Him. And He calls for us to be spiritually stable. It is for that reason I have you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and in the very last verse of that chapter, that thought concludes with these words. He says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so we need to realize the importance of being stable spiritually. That we need to realize how important it is that we need to take whatever actions necessary that, so that we are stable in the Lord. The motive for steadfastness or immovability, as it talked about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the motive behind all of this is simply the sure hope that you and I have of the resurrection of life. When you look at the context of this chapter and you end with, a ver with that last verse, he says, this is why he says you need to be steadfast. This is why you need to be immovable. This is why you need to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's because of the hope of the resurrection 
from the dead. Faithful obedience, diligent service in the Lord and for the Lord is not in vain. It is is not something that has empty or meaningless purpose. It is with eternal benefit. It's not something without benefit. Something is vain when there's no benefit to it. It's not beneficial. And the Lord says being steadfast and immovable in Him is not vain. It it is not meaningless. It is not without benefit. Why is that? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 15, one reason is because there is such a thing as the bodily resurrection. There is a resurrection coming. And so chapter 15 goes in depth arguing that point, presenting that truth to us. And so very quickly, you notice in the 42nd verse of the chapter, 15 verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Talk about the differences of things. And so the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body, but it is raised an imperishable body. And it goes on to expound further on that point. In verse 54, he says, when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. It is not if it will happen, it is when it will happen. He says, it will happen. So therefore be steadfast. Be immovable. Jesus himself taught over in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 29, he says, all in the grave. All in the grave. And that means all the dead throughout time, whenever time is. All in the grave. You're not talking about a handful of people. You're talking about a mass, innumerable host of individuals, of souls. He says, all will hear the voice of the Son of Man. And there will be those who be raised into resurrection of life. And there will be those who be raised in the resurrection of condemnation. There is a resurrection coming. And there is a resurrection, a resurrection of life for those who are steadfast, immovable in the Lord. So there is really, truly, a great need for spiritual fixity. We need to fix ourselves and put it in the right spot. The Greek word for steadfastness carries with it the idea of being seated. And so the Lord says, you need to seat yourself in me, in the Lord, in the work of the Lord. You need to put yourself there and you need to stay there. It's a spiritual timeout for life. Put yourself in the Lord. Be steadfast. Now the word unmovable or immovable in the Greek has the concept of being firm, firmly placed. So you mean to be firmly seated in the Lord and in the work of the Lord. In Psalm 1, in Psalm 1, the psalmist really brings out that idea when it does a contrast or a comparison between the pursuits of a man of God who he says is like a well-rooted tree. That's the man of God. He's a well-rooted tree, unlike 
The character of the wicked, also talked about in someone, who is like the chaff driven by the wind. He says, there's two different characters here. And he said, you need to be like the one that's well-rooted, the man of God. In Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, the apostle Paul also expresses some of the same sentiments he expressed over in 1 Corinthians 15. But in Colossians chapter 1, reading there verses 21 through 23, he, by the Spirit, writes to Christians in the city of Colossae, Christians like you and Christians like me. He says, and although you were formerly alienated, and although you were formerly hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that's what you were. That's the old man. He says, although that's what you were, verse 22, yet he, speaking of God in Christ, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Christ has reconciled us. He has cleansed us. He has saved us. He has sanctified us. And now we stand justified by by faith in his grace. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order... To present you and me, to represent us before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's, that's the objective. That's the goal. He has reconciled us who were once dead in sin. Brought us into this relationship so that we can now be holy and blameless and beyond reproach before God, our creator and our father. But listen to what he says in verse 23 now. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Does that sound a whole lot like 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, if indeed, says, you have been reconciled from sin, brought into Christ, now you are holy in Jesus. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast, and not moved away. Being and remaining steadfast and unmovable are essential. They are essential to our faithfulness. If we are not being steadfast, if we're not being immovable or continuing and firmly established, not moved away, if we're not doing that, then we're not walking faithfully as we ought. Also, it's essential because it's necessary for that final entrance into heaven, into the kingdom of God. God wants us to have confidence The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they want Christians to be confident in their faith. They they want us to be grounded in our love. They want us to be assured in our hope. And there are several passages throughout the New Testament that emphasize this idea of being confident about your faith and about your walk in Christ. For example, in 1 John 3, 19, it says, We will know by this, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart 
before him. God wants you to be confident in your walk. But he says, you need to be steadfast. You need to be immovable. In 1 John chapter 4, he says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. God wants you to be confident about the judgment day. Not only that it's going to happen, but what your sentence will be by faith. Because you have been steadfast, immovable, firmly established in the faith, not moved away from the gospel. Or Hebrews 4. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Speaking of Heaven itself, that's where Jesus, Jesus has gone on before us. He is our forerunner, and he's there as king, savior, mediator, intercessor, waiting for us to join him. But what are some measures? What are some things that we need to be doing to secure this greater spiritual stability in 2021. Yes, I need to be steadfast. I need to be immovable. I need to be firmly seated in the Lord, with the Lord, always abounding in His work. So what, I need, what do I need to be doing now to make sure I'm steadfast, and make sure that I am unmovable? I think it begins with the idea that, well, we need to dig some pretty deep spiritual footings. You know, that footing, as we most of us understand, is that enlarged base on which a building's foundation is laid. You know, you know, so you dig those footings and then you start building on those footings. Our faith needs to be founded. Our faith needs to be built on the sure and unshakable footings of God. We need to be digging deep spiritual footings. Well, how do we do that? Well, very quickly, here are some, some basic things that are part of the footing of your spirituality. First of all, the fact that God is. You need to have strong footings that you know that God is. Because we live in a world where the majority do not believe that God is. There's a lot of religious people. But the majority do not believe that God is. We need to make sure that is part of our footing. In Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, you think the idea, we need to know assuredly, we need to reaffirm this confidence. Yes, we believe. Yeah. The fact that we're here is a sure sign that we are believers of Jehovah. We are believers of God. But we need to make sure our footing is what it needs to be. And so we might need to reaffirm that confidence that you and I have a creator. The world has a creator, whether they believe it or not. But we have a creator to whom we are accountable. Romans 1 tells us that mankind is without excuse. There is no excuse. Now, just because there's no excuse doesn't mean that everyone's going to believe. But there's no excuse, God says, according to Romans 1.20, to know that 
we have a God. Verse 20 says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes. Can we see God with our physical eyes? No, but we can see the evidence of it. We can see the effects. We can see the handiwork of God. And so he says, we can know about the invisible attributes of God. What about that? He says, well, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. It is clearly evident, it is clearly visible that there is a a God of eternal power. And there is a God who is of a divine nature. It's clearly evident being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. God is. That is a spiritual footing in our walk. And so we might need to refresh our convictions So that we're ready to give a defense of the hope that is within us. We might need to renew some of those those things in life. But we better make sure. Because the winds of change are here. The winds of change are here. And the country that we have been part of is not what it used to be. We better be footed well in God. God is. And we are accountable to him. Not on the fact that, okay, okay, we have a creator, but every soul, every one of us is accountable to our creator. In chapter 2 of Romans, he says, verse 5, because of your stubbornness, talking to those unbelievers, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There is a God to whom we are accountable, and all are going to be judged by him. Verse 6, this God who will render to each person according to his deeds. Everybody's going to be judged, believers and unbelievers. Now, verse 7 says, to those who by perseverance in doing good... Seek for glory, honor, immortality. See, they're those who are being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. They're the ones who are persevering in the things that they need to be persevering in. He says, what they have the hope of life, the resurrection of life. But he goes on, but, verse 8, to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Everyone is going to be judged by their creator. But also, part of our footing needs to be the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and the Lord. And you say, well, that's so basic. Yeah, it is. And we better be footed well. That Jesus is the Son of God. Most in the world do not believe that. Even religions that claim to be believers of one God, of a Jehovah. They do not believe in the Messiah of Nazareth. We better be digging some deep spiritual footings. Jesus is the Son of God. And he is Lord. He's not just a good man. He is not just a good teacher. He is the eternal one who now possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the son of God. 
And we better know it, and we better believe it, and we better not be ashamed of it. Jesus is the Son of God. You want to be steadfast and immovable in our days of times of change, and they are, there are stormy winds coming, my friends. Stormy winds are on the rise. We better know who we believe in. And be seated there firmly. We can know Jesus is the Son of God because of the evidence that has been presented to us. In Romans chapter 1, again. In Romans 1, verse 3 says, concerning his Son, Paul says, I'm writing concerning the Son, the very one the prophets of old spoke about. He's concerning the Son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power, how? By the resurrection of the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The eyewitness testimony of Jesus' resurrection is proof. It is proof that he is who he claimed to be. By that act, Jesus is the Son of God. In our study of the Gospels... All the miracles, you think about it, all the miracles he did, all the ones recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all those miracles were done, how? In public view. People saw it. And so they are confirmed signs, confirmed signs to instill faith, to instill belief that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. John himself, as he is bringing his account to a close in John 20, verse 31 says, These have been written. What has been recorded has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, but not, not just that. But he is the Son of God. It is written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. But also you need to believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is not the words of men. It is the breath of your creator. Like the Thessalonian brethren in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We need to be receiving the message of scriptures for what it really is. That is really the words of God, not the words of men. And they were commended for that. They had the heart and the mind and the attitude. He says, you, when you heard it and you received it, you receive it for what it is. It wasn't just Paul's words or Timothy's or Peter's. No, you knew what it was. It was the word of God. God has spoken. And he has spoken to us in these last days through his son, Jesus Christ. Through the servants and the messengers whom he has chosen. As they were guided by the direction of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, For no prophecy... That is, no revelation, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, yes, God used men. 
godly men, chosen men of his, but he used men, moved how, by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And so God has proven the inspiration of his scriptures by all of the fulfillment of those promises and prophecies throughout God's Old Testament. That's why Paul could say in Romans 1.16 that the gospel of Christ is the power of God. It's not the power of men. The gospel of Christ is the power of God. And it's that power, God's power, found in his, his revealed word that is the power of truth and the power of light. So yes, we need to be digging some deep spiritual footings. If we're going to be steadfast, immovable, not only in 2021, but for whatever the future holds for us in our country and in our world. But also, we need to be strengthening our spiritual core as well. You know, we hear a lot today about our body's core muscles and the health of the bodies of our core muscles and how we need to take care of those core muscles because that affects the other parts of our body and their health as well. And so there are some core components to having a right relationship with God. There are some core components to having a right relationship with Jesus Christ, and that begins with discipleship. Discipleship in Jesus demands a solid adherence, a solid obedience to the teaching of Christ. Not only do I need to believe it, I need to obey it. I need to be doing it. I need to adhere to the teaching of Jesus Christ. You know, back in the Gospel of John chapter 8, you're familiar with this passage when it speaks of Jesus addressing those who actually are believers. He's talking to Jews who are, who are becoming believers in Jesus, and he says, but let me tell you what it's going to really take to be my follower. And so it says there in verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who have believed him, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's power in truth, and there's freedom in truth. Not freedom to do whatever we want to do, but freedom from bondage, freedom from enslavement and judgment and condemnation. But where do I gain that freedom? By continuing, or some person may say, abiding or keeping the word of Jesus Christ, the teaching and doctrine of Christ. We cannot be right with God without keeping, without following the Lord and what he has said. We can't be right with God. We can't be a disciple of Jesus without following and hearing being a genuine disciple, as Brian talked about this morning, of Jesus. A true student who not only hears but receives the message and imitates the master. Church traditions and man's philosophies are unacceptable. It's Christ's teaching. And if we follow everything but Christ's teaching, it's going to cost us our soul. So we, if we're going to strengthen our spiritual core... We better make sure we, have a, we are adhering solidly to Christ. 
and his teaching, the gospel. And that involves the idea that salvation is only through Christ and his way. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but the Son of God. No other being, no other message can save you and me from God's wrath that is coming against all sin. And so as Jesus taught in John 14, verse 6, he says, you want access to the Father? You want to make it to heaven? He says, I am it. I'm it. There's no one else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, absolutely no one can come to the Father but by Jesus. He's the way. Salvation is only through Christ's way. And that way involves a number of things, but that way does involve commands of repentance and baptism. Luke 13, 3. What did Jesus say? Except what? Except you repent, what's going to happen? You will all likewise perish. Repentance is, is essential to following Jesus. In Mark 16, 16, it says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And that's why the apostles on the day of Pentecost, when they're asked by the multitude, says, What shall we do when convicted by the truth that they had murdered the Messiah, the very one they were looking for? That Peter and the apostles answer their question. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The way of Christ, it does involve change. A believer must change his life. We can't continue in sin. We can't continue to be the old man. And that's what repentance is all about. A decision to make change in our life and spend the rest of our life making those changes, bringing forth the fruits of those changes in our life. We've got to change and become someone that reflects Christ. But that does involve that I have taken that old man and burying him in the watery grave of baptism as Jesus commands and talked about in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where these two principles are woven together in, in the discourse of Paul's writing. What shall we say then? Are we continuing sin so that grace may increase? Chapter 5 presents to us the abundance of grace, and it is. God's grace is sufficient to save. But he asks the question, what, 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 are we continuing in it so that grace may increase? And he answers it in verse 2, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the, from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. See how all those concepts are woven together? Repentance and newness of life and a burial, all of that comes together in Christ. Salvation is through Jesus and it's through his way, not man's way. But also we need to be assured of the fact that there is this singleness Singleness of the body of Christ. Christ is not divided, nor did he build the divided church. The church belongs to him. 
That's why in Matthew 16, verse 18, when Peter made that confession, and he says, and upon this rock I will build my church, upon the fact, the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, that truth is, is what the church is based upon. That's what the church is built on. It's built on Christ. He's the cornerstone of everything. And so the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1 talking about how he is the head. And what does the head do? The head governs everything. So, so as the head of his body, the church, his teaching governs every aspect of his body, his church. And so the one church that the New Testament reveals does not subject itself to different heads. It doesn't, it doesn't submit to other heads besides Jesus. No, we subject to Christ. And we don't subject to different doctrines that are not Christ's doctrines. No, we need to know the singleness of the body of Christ. That's a core principle to the way of Jesus Christ. But also we need to hold fast to God-ordained routines. We all know how important consistency is in all different kinds of situations. Being consistent. It's hard to be consistent sometimes. But consistency is, is, is a major part in attaining or in, in succeeding in every endeavor, in every relation. If you want to succeed, there has to be consistency. And keeping apostolic patterns, keeping apostolic traditions that are revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has come from Christ, are essential. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul himself, by the direction you know, of the Holy Spirit as an apostle of Christ, exhorts, edifies, admonishes Christians in this epistle, he says, So then, my brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. There are certain things that we need to keep. There are certain patterns. There, there are certain you know, things that have been passed down to us from the apostles. That's what the word tradition literally means. Something's been passed on down to us. And so we're talking about spiritual things here. And Paul says, you need to hold to those things. You need to be firm in keeping to those things. And one of those things would be prioritizing worshiping God and assembling with saints. It needs to be a consistent component of our walk in Jesus Christ. There are certain God-ordained routines that we need to be doing always. And worshiping God and simply saying is just one of those things. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the things that is important to our walk and being steadfast. If I want to be seated firmly in the Lord, with the Lord, always abounding in His work, not mine, His, then I need to make sure I'm doing the kind of things that God has called me to do. He calls me to do these things not because He needs something from me, but because we need to be doing it. 
It's important to our faithfulness. It's important to our steadfastness and immovability. We need it to sustain our spiritual health with God and with Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 4, verse 23, 24, it talks about how God seeks true worshipers. Jesus is talking there to that Samaritan woman at the well. You know the, the, the account well. And she became a follower of Jesus Christ. But in that conversation, worship and where to worship, that came up. You know, it was, it was a big question of the day. And so Jesus addresses that and then turns the shit and says, The day's coming, though, that, you know, Samaria and Jerusalem, well, that's not going to be the most important aspect of the question. The most important thing is, is God is looking for real worshipers, true worshipers of him. The kind of worshipers that worship him in truth and spirit. That's what God's looking for. What town you live in is not going to be the most important thing. Or what town you worship in is not going to be the most important thing. Because there can be true worshipers anywhere and any place when you follow Christ. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about the relationship not only we have with God, but also the, the relationship that we have with one another and how this togetherness is very vital, very essential to our spiritual health. If I want to be steadfast and move always abounding, I need to be connected. And so in Hebrews 10 in verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Jesus is our aim, our objective, our Savior, our King, our Lord. And so let us hold fast to what we've confessed and the hope that is anchoring us. And then he says, And let us consider one another. We don't walk this road alone. He says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, all the commandments of God are good. They're not always easy to do, but they're good. Why? Because they're good for us. God knows what's good. And he knows what's best for us. And so that's why he gives us commandments and has given us teachings in Christ. And, but the thing is, doing the right thing is hard sometimes, but we still need to do it. We need to hold fast to those God-ordained routines. Your, 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 your prayer life, your, your study life in the Word, all of these things that God says are important to, to His relationship with Him. He said, yes, it's hard to do some, but we need, still need to do it even when it's hard. Because in the long run, what's going, to, what's going to be the result? The long run is you're, you're going to prove to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. And when it get, the thing is, when it gets hard, it's the real test. That's when it's really the real test. If we're being steadfast, if we're firmly seated where we need to be. And so, yes, we need to establish some good spiritual support. You know, the Bible begins with relationships. There in Genesis chapter 1. And one of the big relationships in creation was the relationship between man and woman. God created both and brought them together. And you see that God said, it is not good for man. It's not good for the male 
to be alone. And so God in his perfection made woman and created a relationship that is to our well-being. I would suggest to you, kind of taking that thought, it's not good for man to be alone. And I would suggest to you, neither is it good for a Christian to be alone. It's not good for us as Christians to be alone. Think about the idea of spiritual adoption. How we are adopted by God through Christ. Through the spiritual adoption made available to us in Christ... What are we added to? We're added to a family. We're added to God's family. We're added to Christ's family. We become sons and daughters of the Almighty. And we become brethren with our Lord Jesus Christ. We're part of a family where now we are members of one another. Where once we were orphaned. And alone in the world, now in Christ, we are brought into this amazing relationship. And now we have siblings. We have spiritual siblings. And so we are blessed. We are blessed with each other, with the connections that come from that relationship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, he does a very quick statement where, where Paul, in his writing to the saints in Rome, you know, says to them as well about this relationship. He says... We who are many are one body in Christ. There is the singleness of the body of Christ. That is core. We understand and know the core singleness of the body of Christ. But he goes on to say, and individually members of one another. Yes, we're all part of the one amazing relationship of Christ's church, Christ's body. He's the head. The soul head. And it's him that we need to listen to. But he says, but individually, we are now members of each other. We are now brethren in Jesus Christ. And so you have this connection and the importance of the connection. And go back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, where it talks about the importance of two and three. With two, with, with, with two, you know, joined together, you can resist. But with three, a cord that is entwined with three twines, you wrap that together real good. It's not easily broken. The Lord's not talking about rope there. He's not talking about chains either. He's talking about relationships. Relationships that are important. Relationships that are vital to our well-being. And so there are physical relationships that are important and God addresses those physical relationships and what we need to do make those relationships healthy and strong and beneficial for everyone in that relationship. But also there are spiritual relationships that also are vital to our well-being. And so we need to make sure that we are establishing this good spiritual support because every Christian, young ones, Middle-aged ones and not-so-young ones, every Christian needs the right kind of support all of their days. You never stop needing one another. 
I think that's illustrated well as we bring our lesson to a close in the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14, Paul is bringing this small epistle to its conclusion. And he gives some final exhortations and instruction about you know, their walk in Christ and the relationship with one another. And he says in verse 14, we urge you, brethren. Is this important? Yes, it's important. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Do we sometimes get a little unruly ourselves? Yeah, we do. He's not talking about the world here. He's talking about Christians. He says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. Do we get faint-hearted as Christians sometimes? Yes. Life takes a toll on all of us, and we get faint-hearted. And he says, okay, encourage them. Help the weak. Are we always strong? No. None of us are always strong. We all have our moments of weakness. He said, help them. Help the weak. And be patient with everyone. Maybe that's the hardest. That may be the hardest thing. And that's why it's so important that we understand if we're going to be steadfast and movable, always abounding the work of the Lord, yes, we need to be digging deep, strong footings. God is, and Jesus is the Son of God and Lord of our life, and the Bible is the inspired Word of God, no matter what the world says. That needs to be our footing. But also we need, we need a, a core to our existence so we recognize, yes, I need to continually adhere to, to the Lord's teaching and recognize He is salvation in only His way. There's not another way. It is the Lord's way is the salvation of mankind. And so I need to recognize that and, and, and I, I need to make sure that, that in so doing, I know the importance of the church and the singleness of the Lord's church. At the same time, I need to hold fast to what God has instructed us to be doing because He has given us the instruction because it is for our well-being. It's so that we will be found holy and blameless and without reproach on that day because we can't do it by ourselves. But also I need, to write, I need to be establishing a good spiritual lifeline. Spiritual support because we all need that each step of the way. We live at a time that it, things are changing. The world is changing. And at times it may be somewhat frightening, definitely disconcerting. But in the Lord, we are victorious. In Him, we are firmly planted. Like that house that Jesus talked about on the Sermon on the Mount, when the winds and the rains came beating down upon it, crashing against it, that house stood firm. And that's exactly what he wants for each and every one of us. He wants us to have a confident faith. He wants us to have a grounded love. He wants us to have the assurance of hope so that no matter what happens to us, you know, in our personal lives, our family lives, or in our congregation, you know, we're going to prove to be strong because we are steadfast. We are immovable, always abounding. Because we have seated ourselves 
and the only place that will get us into heaven. But if you're not a Christian, if you have not named the Lord, you have not called upon Him in, in, with an obedient faith to His gospel, then you are outside of Christ and you're not in a right relationship with Him. And right now, your house, your life is on shaky ground. The Lord wants you to start building it on the solid ground of Him. If you believe Jesus, you believe Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, if you believe He is the Son of God, and you believe that with all your heart, but you've not committed your life to Him, you've not made that decision to change your direction, to repent of your sins, to confess your faith with your mouth unashamedly before others, and be baptized into Christ. We want to encourage you to do that today. We're ready to help you with that. Do not delay too long. Don't procrastinate while you know what is right. Because the day is coming. The Lord will return. And it's going to be a great day. And it's going to be a judgment day. The Lord wants you to be saved. And he's provided the means to do that this very hour. If we can assist you in putting on a Christ and obedience to the gospel by being, by, by being buried with him in baptism, or as a child of God that has strayed, and if there's any sin in your life that you need to make public and ask for the forgiveness of the brethren here, or you just simply want the prayers of the saints, if we can assist you in any way spiritually, invite you to encourage you, please come now, make your wishes known while I stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>